Hello and welcome. This is Friend Request. I am your guest, Justin Lamb, and this is episode 54, part one. Real treat for you guys today. The uh, thing that I get asked the most by all the guests and a lot of the listeners is, when are you, when are you going to sit behind the microphone as a guest and be interviewed? And that that is happening right now. Five of my previous guests have interviewed me and it's all been chopped together for your enjoyment. So without further ado, I'm going to get in the other chair and I'm going to let them take it away. Welcome. My name is Jenny Helms. My name is Michelle. Hi, my name is Rebecca. My name is Dan Karen. Hi, my name is Pam. And I'll be interviewing... And I'm interviewing... Just- I'll be interviewing Justin... And I'll be interviewing Justin Lamb. And I'll be interviewing Justin Lamb. Okay, so first set of questions is get to know Justin. I'm so excited for this. So it's like rapid fire. You just got to answer it. Okay. First thing that comes to mind. Yeah. First thing. Favorite food? Pizza. God, I hate that I said pizza. Cheese is, I think, the real answer, but fuck. (laughs) Okay. Uh, Your favorite band? Jimmy World. Favorite color? Green. Favorite thing to do? Nap. (laughs) All right, showing your age. Cheese and napping. Oh, <laughs> oh yeah, that doesn't, when you put it in perspective like that. <laughs> no, we'll keep going. We'll move, move past that. Uh, your favorite book? Oh, uh, so it's probably something I just read. Um, either Deepest Well or uh, even Daring Greatly, Brene Brown. Yeah, I want to read that one so bad. But Deepest Well really sent me down a rabbit hole because the author I heard on a podcast last year... Uh, talk about how childhood trauma can be one of the sources of some, things like autoimmune diseases and heart diseases, and um, they've tied in medical conditions to childhood trauma. And so I really went down the rabbit hole there because I have an autoimmune disease that has no known cause or cure. So <laughs> interesting. Yeah, it's a good one. Uh, your favorite holiday? <sighs> Halloween, but this year I'm not feeling it at all. I'm feeling I'm watching a lot of scary movies, but like I don't see the point in like decorating or doing things. Yeah. yeah. Uh, worst fear? I don't know. Loneliness. Uh, who is your hero? My hero changes. <laughs> I think currently it's it's probably like Dax Shepard. <laughs> um, but yeah. If you could choose a superpower, which one would it be? Can you give me options? What's all on the table here? Because I'm a Marvel kid. I could go pretty deep into this question. (laughs) I don't know, like super strength or reading minds or flying, like that kind of thing. Is it weird that I see the negatives of all those things? (laughs) Uh, Not at all. Um, I guess it would be immortality. (laughs) Not aging. So you just like reach reach a pinnacle age, maybe a ripe 35, and then you just kind of stay there. I like how you choose ripe to describe that. <laughs> uh, your biggest regret? <sighs> Boy. Um, not taking more time to get to know my father. But at the same time, I, I don't regret that because I don't think either one of us was capable of doing that. <laughs> So, 
it's a it's a double-edged sword favorite childhood memory um i'm gonna categorize this and just say uh, toys um i i love toys they represent a safe space and whenever i'm looking for pictures i always gravitate towards like me opening christmas presents and being like oh yeah that i remember that i remember that i remember that what sticks out to you from those times I remember learning to ride a bike in the cul-de-sac right there. Like I had red bike with training wheels. I remember the Christmas morning we got our bikes. So they were put together like, uh, it's funny, this house was like super open concept, which was, this was in like 85 that it was built. So it was ahead of a time. Um, but so there's this big kitchen island and the bikes were sitting in front of the kitchen island and then the tree was over there and everything. Uh, me and my brother both got bikes that year. And I had training wheels and his little red bike, and I learned how to ride bike uh, in that cul-de-sac. Uh, I still don't know how to ice skate, but an attempt was done to teach me how to ice skate using this desk chair. You, like you hold a desk chair. Do you know this oh, method? Because yeah. you grew up on oh, yeah. a lake. <clears throat> you, yeah, you hold the desk chair for like stability, and then you just kind of try to glide along. Um, I remember the chair. I remember being on the pond in the backyard and trying to ice skate on it. Um, and I remember our bedroom, just because my, my dad built, me and my brother shared a room, and my dad built these built-in bookshelves, um, floor to ceiling, and we had like huge ceilings. I mean, maybe we didn't. I was a kid, so I guess everything's huge, but <laughs> it was floor to ceiling bookshelves, and the bottom of them was were desks that were built in as well. So we each had our own desk, and then there's just shelves going up uh, above nice. it. So yeah, I mean, I have these memories of that house, and... and it's funny because I always talk about this stuff. Like, I don't remember the divorce. Um, I don't remember my dad living in Rochester for like a year afterwards, which apparently he did. Uh, but I remember the stuff from the house, which is, is funny to me. Like the more significant memories that I've apparently blocked out. <laughs> right. It seems like you kind of remember the, the happier, pleasant stuff. I guess that makes sense as a kid. But yeah. Yeah. Well, so I, there's a couple things I want to ask you about what you just said. But first, I want to ask you about your brother. So I know you guys don't have a great relationship now. You guys were sharing a room and everything then. And and uh, seems like, I mean, you got bikes together for Christmas. You're talking about ice skating. Did you guys have a good relationship when you were young? I think everything kind of fell to shit around the time that, like, I was between elementary school and junior high. And my brother was, like, becoming a teenager and because before that, I remember occasionally like he'd play G.I. Joe's and stuff with me. Um, and I remember like I'd have to bother him to do that, but he would eventually give in. Uh, but we I mean, no, we always we always fought. I mean, talking to him, I interviewed him for my show and like finding out all the like instant resentment he had after the divorce. Um, I think he probably took a lot of that out on me. Uh, and so I no, we didn't have, we never had a good relationship really so you don't remember the divorce you leave the house when you're five and you go and you move in with your grandparents yeah so moving there you do you remember how you were feeling about that were you I mean you seemed like you were already comfortable with your grandparents so it wasn't something that would have been totally out of reach for you yeah I think my my grandparents were a huge buffer um, like looking back, you know, in trauma, you have kind of buffers and then like resiliency factors that kind of help save you essentially from, 
uh, the damage of, of some trauma. And I think my grandparents were like huge buffers there because they were super loving and nice. And, you know, my grandpa was there. So it was like an instant replacement figure for my father. Um, and not in like an aggressive way. It's just like, cause this is just my grandpa, you know? Um, it's not like my mom, like met a new boyfriend. She's like, this is your dad now. Like that didn't happen. Right. Um, so it was, I mean, I don't have same way. I don't remember the divorce. Like I don't remember actually moving in there. I remember the living situations were a little screwy at first. Um, cause my grandparents st- didn't sleep in the same room at that point. Cause they were old and that's apparently like what old people do and like separate beds. <laughs> and, um, so let's talk about Justin's childhood. Yeah. What do you want to know? (laughs) Why was it traumatic? What made it so traumatic? Um, You know, I'm still uncovering some of that. Uh, I used to say like, oh, I can't remember certain years. And there are still like, that's one thing I'm talking about in therapy right now is like, like my parents divorced when I was four, but like I was still in my childhood home when I was five. My dad apparently lived in Rochester for a year after they were divorced. I have no memory of that. Um, trips to like see my dad when I was in elementary. Like I don't remember those very well. Uh, just a lot of like home memories. Uh, I don't remember. I remember this and this is where the toys come in. I remember all of the toys. And I think what I did was that I created that was my safe space. Like go to my imaginary world with my GI Joes and shit. And that was so, uh, I remember the toys. I don't remember a lot of the events. And I remember school and friends, like elementary school was great. I had a lot of friends, similar interests, and, and that was good. Um, so like pre like 11 or 12 was good other than the divorce. And I, we moved into my grandparents after we got, after my parents divorced and I loved my grandparents. So that was, that was cool for me. Um, but like looking back and now being an adult, you know, like my mom was depressed and then when I was 11, I was sexually abused by an older boy, uh, which that like was the downward spiral from there. And I didn't talk about that for 20 years. <laughs> so uh, that just like spiraled into into shame. And, and um, my brother was emotionally, verbally, and sometimes physically abusive, like nonstop, which was uh, led to all sorts of self-esteem issues and body issues. And yeah, so childhood was not great. <laughs> so um, just to go back a little bit, like yeah. four years old is very young to remember, to yeah. have vivid memories, but traumatic memories will just indent themselves in your brain because it shapes your view of life. So like what made the divorce so traumatic? I don't, I don't know. And the same way you say traumatic memories, like kind of stick into your head. I think there's also, they also get not erased, but like coded differently because you don't have the coping skills to deal with them. And I think that's kind of what happened with the divorce. So I just, I wasn't (laughs) equipped to. (laughs) I mean, yeah, you're right. A hundred percent. They do. It's it's your brain's way of protecting you. Yeah. So now that I'm kind of like uncovering stuff, I'm trying to like dig into what I'm missing there. Yeah. Yeah. So I feel like sometimes when you've experienced trauma, because you're not talking about it with your family or your friends or whatever, like it's a really hard subject to just sort of like take up space with, you know, to like own and be in a space and be like, Hey, 
this is what happened without everyone, you know, being like, Oh my God, you know, yeah. um, your personal experience with trauma. What, what age were you when we've discussed briefly that you were, um, sexually abused? 11. 11. Wow. How long did it, what's, what's, it was, uh, it was a one-time thing. Um, that then like made me question my sexuality and, and sex in general for, sure. you know, the next 25 years. <laughs> yeah. You just like tuck that away and then yeah. let it manifest when you're older. Sure. Yeah. Um, was it a family member? Was no, it? Thankfully. No, uh, no, it was another kid. It was just like a little older than me. And yeah, Fuck. I didn't even know it was abuse. <laughs> yeah. I thought it was yeah, a real fucked up game. And then <laughs> 20 years later, <laughs> yeah. Turns out my, no, it was my therapist saying, uh, oh, no. if you would have reported that. Yeah. So. Oh, wow. Yeah. That is an interesting, uh, uh, being on the interviewer side of things. Yeah. That's an interesting, uh, delicateness, you know, yeah. like how do you, how do you pull more out of someone? Um, you don't have to say more. Yeah. No. Oh, uh, Cause it, I've it, never, and even in all the people I've interviewed, like I've never been like, so like, Tell me exactly what happened, because that's right. Show me that's on the inappropriate. Doll, right? Yeah, right. Um, <laughs> right, right. But yeah, no. There. Uh, I mean, I don't. I don't know what route you would want to go there. It was, <laughs> it was a boy, so that was like, that's yeah. a thing in itself. Especially when you have like the the macho He-Man older brother who's already like calling you a fag and everything. Oh my god. Uh, then inside your head, you're like, oh my god, am I? Um, <laughs> right. And then you go through that for however many years. And I was just interviewing a friend of mine who came out when he was like 19. And I was like, as someone that had like battled that question in his head and then with like, didn't turn out to be gay. I can't even imagine what it was like for you. You were like, Oh no, I am. But then I still have to ask myself this because like society right now in the fucking nineties is like, not saying it's okay (laughs) like it's it's such a it's a it's a fucked up it's a fucked up thing to have to go through at all um yeah do you feel like you you relate to the idea that you rationalized your experience with the age of the brain you had like with your 11 year old brain everything sense of everything everything you can only comprehend those things with that brain right and you really have to that's a really good point you really gotta dig deep as an adult to reprocess that with your like adult brain um which is that's currently what i'm doing in emdr Um, that's what the r is reprocessing um (laughs) so yeah no i mean it's 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 really remarkable and it's it's relieving to think about things through that lens because not only is it it's a lot easier to like a and most importantly forgive yourself right like yeah yeah you're a kid um right it's also a lot easier yeah it's a lot easier i mean in my case uh which isn't doesn't mean that i'm like over this or in some headspace where i'm like fully forgiven people but it is easier to remember that the other person involved was also a kid yeah, and knowing yeah. like what I know now through uh, like school and general knowledge about abuse, like he was probably being abused at home. Right. And yeah, yeah. like hurt people, hurt people. Um, right. 
And it's even with my brother who like, I have yet, I have a problem with forgiveness where, (laughs) uh, I really want to forgive people, but if they don't take any accountability for it, it's difficult for me (laughs) to do that. So, and that's like, that's the story of me and my brother, but, and it is, it's, I have the two sides of my brain battling where like, I'm like, he was a, he was a child too, right? Like he was coping with his parents getting divorced and not having a lot of money and by like being a fucking asshole. And, and so like, but then the child in me is like, yeah, but he was being a fucking asshole. (laughs) So, uh, so it's, that's a, it's just a hard road to walk. Um, in that respect. So you talk about your brother, like you have a relationship with him. Hmm. Have you, have you been, well, that explains. (laughs) No, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Have you been able to kind of mend that relationship at all? Like, or is it just kind of existing? I don't know. I guess it depends on your definition of mend. I've gotten to a point where I kind of like made peace with the fact that like we are never going to be close. He's uh-huh. never going to like be the person that I want him to be. Mm-hmm. I'm never going to be the person he wants me to be. We both see each other as the same fuck up we were when we were each like 21 or whatever. Um, Like, you know, my brother's been sober longer than I have and makes hundreds of thousands of dollars. And like, I don't think we're ever going to change our viewpoint on each other. Uh, And I'm working on not getting so much joy out of calling him out on shit. Cause that's uh-huh. super toxic, but that's uh, I mean, that's something I did from when that's, that's a childhood behavior that I still do. He just, like I told my brother, I was like, so I was like, if I get my master's in counseling and I start my own practice and 20 years from now, I've been a therapist for whatever, a decade and a half. Are you still going to be like, no, you don't know what you're talking about. And he's like, Justin, this is his gauge. I do an impression of him. Erica loves it. Uh, <laughs> Justin, if you don't know how to talk to me, then you're not a successful therapist. I was like, like, cause that's his worldview. Cause it's all revolves around him. Like if you, if you don't know how to talk to me, if you're like, if you can't have a good relationship with me, then you can't be a successful therapist. And I was like, bitch, do you know about toxic people? Like, it is recommended you do not have relationships with those people. It's just, uh, yeah, he's got a worldview that is so far from my own. It's just, it's never going to happen. And the the toughest part about that is he has kids that I love with all my heart. Yeah. We maintain our, like, back and forth text once or twice a year. And then I talk to his kids kind of whenever I want. <laughs> so that's good. And I, me and Erica like went down, visited him right before COVID hit uh, yeah. weekend of leap year. Um, cause like we're civil and I love bringing Erica cause Erica's smart as fuck. And when it comes to politics and history and shit, my brother doesn't know anything and Erica does. So I just get to like watch them go at it. And then I just get to like <laughs> hang out with the kids. Yeah. So, Perfect. Yeah. <laughs> Short answer. No, that's never going to be a good relationship. Do you think? Do you think you starting to dis- discuss this? Oh, you know, openly. Um, does that come from uh, one of these things or a mixture of 
your personal growth, um, doing the podcast and or sobriety, personal growth and sobriety. The podcast has given me an outlet to like test the waters, you know, in your mind, if you have anything going on with you or anything, that, anything you have shame about, uh, especially if it's like buried shame for fucking 20 years, it's not something you want to just like throw out there because you're your immediate reaction is like, everyone's going to judge me. <laughs> um, in reality, most people don't care, but that's getting back to the comments section. That's, that's where we're, you know, like, uh, you put that out there, you're going to get people in the comments section that are cruel and terrible, but on the one-on-one -on -one basis, it allows for like dipping your toe in the water, so to speak. Right. But I mean, it, it comes from per, I want personal growth. Like I said, I want to, I want to be present. And in order to be present, you got to deal with the past and you got to, uh, figure that out. And that's, I mean, that's a hard journey. <laughs> yeah. You have to admit a lot of things to yourself and you have to kind of figure out really who you are, what you want, uh, where your boundaries are, if you have them, <laughs> like it's a, it's a long treacherous journey, but I, I mean, each step that you accomplish I think is super rewarding and so that's that's where that desire comes from anytime I can kind of get past something or understand something better I feel great like I always get out of therapy even at these last two therapy sessions I had I fucking cried the whole time <laughs> wow. and, and I but like I still went upstairs because I do everything in the basement because this is where I essentially fucking live now. <laughs> I went upstairs and Erica's like, how's therapy? I was like, so good. Because it's just like, it's great. I love it. Erica cries in therapy and comes home and goes, I fucking hate therapy. <laughs> and, right. you know, it's like, you got it out. And that's like the first step is, is getting it out, recognizing it and like whatever it is. I'm super excited to meet the person that I'm going to be in like five years. <laughs> oh, wow. That's a really, that's a really cool way of looking at it. Yeah. It's just going to be a weird five years. <laughs> I don't know why I say five years, but you get the idea. Yeah. Yeah. You don't have a timeline for when you're going to reach or achieve the goals you have. Yeah. But I think it's important though to, to, to talk about those goals um, and, and share what, what you're working on because I think anybody really that tunes into your podcast or really gets involved in your content is seeking some type of personal growth yeah. or seeking, you know, an outlet for discussing things or relating to other people going through these similar things, you know, traumas and stuff. Yeah. Well, that, yeah. And, I'm happy to put it out there. <laughs> yeah. And this is a new thing for everyone. I mean, you know, sobriety is a new thing for everyone. You know, I, I, uh, I know like I had no idea until I came to your house to do the podcast that so many craft beer companies were making <laughs> non-alcoholic beers. Yeah. Did you see me drinking uh, a stout when we started this? <laughs> yes, I did. I did. Yeah. And, um, that's so cool. Yeah. Um, that's awesome. you know, to, to see that's a, that's a short time that that's changed and will obviously just continue to get bigger and bigger. Yeah. Um, you know, as people find out about it, yeah. you know, people want to have a beer, but don't, want all the things that come around with come along with alcohol <laughs> yeah yeah and i've seen i mean i've talked to that i've talked to I, I don't even know countless people about that since i quit since i quit drinking about how it's growing or how it's about just or, yeah about non-alcoholic beers like so many people reach out to me for recommendations yeah because you know 
it's a lot easier to reach out and be like, hey, tell me about these non-alcoholic beers than it is to reach out and be like, hey, I think I drink too much. Like, it's a familiar conversation if you're already drinking, uh, you know. Right. And But this time it's about non-alcoholic beers, and it might be the first, like, a big first step for them. So I just kind of give them, <laughs> literally, and I, I think people can attest to this, I give them as much information as humanly possible. <laughs> Right. I have, that's good though i've developed very strong opinions on every single brewery and every beer they make so i've i have a lot of thoughts to give people that's good though because if someone does reach out they're looking for that information and want yeah. to have that conversation and, and like you said who knows what it really yeah. what that question really is <laughs> yeah. and i know some people them. just want to cut down and but some people want to kind of start that journey of quit drinking and that's a i mean you know that's a fucking treacherous journey <laughs> It is. And it's something that, you know, uh, I'm like, you know, we'll be coming up on three years at, in a few months here. Nice. Congrats. Uh, and I'm not, thank you. But I'm no way, I'm just now starting to realize how much bigger it is for me and how many, how many problems I did have with it. Yeah. I kind of, I was for a long time in this uh, excuse phase of like, well, I'm doing it because my partner's carrying our child and she can't drink. And then I was like, well, I'm doing it. She's breastfeeding. And then yeah. it took me a while to get to that point of being like, oh, actually, I have a problem. <laughs> a bad one. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, so, yeah, it's, it, you know, and here I am, you know, coming up on three years, still learning a lot of the things about myself that I need to explore um, that you're that you're sharing is like things that I like reflect back on and how things affected us in different ways that, you know, I've numbed for the last 20 years with alcohol. Yeah. It's funny. I went to I went to therapy for I sought out this is this is how things don't always work the way you want them to. I sought out a therapist because I essentially for sex addiction. I didn't know it at the time, but I was like, I have behaviors that I can't seem to stop and I've set many limits for myself and I never keep them. And I see this lady and she's this old lady. So right away, I'm like, this isn't going to work. But I go to the first session and I'm. I'm very open with strangers. Like I, I feel more comfortable telling a stranger very intimate details about myself because I don't know why I haven't figured out why, but maybe cause like, I don't give a fuck what they think. Sure. <laughs> you know, like they're going to disappear and I still won't know who they are. Um, so I tell this lady about, uh, about my life and her like initial diagnosis from one session is she thinks I am probably an alcoholic. <laughs> Wow. And I was like, okay. I mean, this was this was years from when I actually started going to therapy. Because <laughs> uh, after that one session, I was like, yeah, I'm not going back there. And so this wow. <laughs> wasn't... When did you decide to become sober? That's what I want to know. <laughs> oh, um, when I mean, did I decide to come sober? I uh, mean, isn't it kind of a slippery, like a, you know... Anybody, anybody that has been... Uh, Okay, maybe that's not true. I was about to say anybody that's been drunk before, but that's not true. But anybody that's like done something stupid while you're drunk has woken up at three or four in the morning, still kind of drunk, but like you wake up because your body's like, yeah. hey, how are you? Hey. Um, <laughs> and that crushing, overwhelming feeling of shame that comes with that yeah. wake up. Um, yeah. I had that moment so often uh, that. Damn. And it was, you know, I mean, there's 
every every time you get drunk you have like a couple hours in the middle of the night or the morning or however you want to classify it that you want to like fucking kill yourself because just like yeah uh you're so ashamed of yourself right so got tired of that um sure i identified at, at that point like this was almost three years ago and i was like i need to quit drinking or like cut down i'm sure i was cut down sure. <laughs> it's, it's always right. cut down yeah um i'll cut back it'll be fine yeah uh and then i got diagnosed with an autoimmune disease they put me on a drug that i couldn't drink on for six months oh wow so and i mean that's fortunate right um so the i i ended up only being on it for five months and I realized a month or two in, like that was the longest I'd gone without drinking since I started drinking. And then I realized that's true for just about everybody, except for like, if you take pregnancies out of the mix, nobody, unless they do like a dry January, which, uh, should say a lot is nobody. (laughs) It's, it's fucked up, right? Like we start drinking, right? It's maybe the average age. I I mean, just from my experience interviewing people, I'm saying like 16, 17, you start drinking. Yeah. Yeah. And then you just never stop drinking. Yeah. (laughs) Um, and I was, I could identify like times I went without, you know, eating candy longer than that, or times I went without (laughs) eating fucking broccoli longer than that. And it was, so it's like, it's, it's weird that the constant is the alcohol, right? Um, and whether that's like only on weekends or whatever that looks like, it's still kind of a fucked up sentiment. So I got off the drug and I was like able to drink again. And I like, I didn't talk about any of this to anybody, even my wife. And so like, she was like, Oh, are you so excited? Like you get, cause I'd, I'd spent that five months buying these glamorous, expensive beers like these. Oh, this is aged five years. I was like, (laughs) I was like stocking up for the fucking beer apocalypse. And so then I got off the drug and I was like able to drink again. And yeah, uh, it was a barrel aged Humalupalicious from shorts. And I was, I I opened it up and I was like, I felt so bad about wow. drinking it because I had gone for five months without drinking. And in my head, like, I really knew that I shouldn't drink. Yeah. And and then I drank it. And then, like, I was like, yay, drinking. And I <laughs> dove head first back in at where I was. And, um, and I travel January to June for work. So, like, on the road, it's almost impossible not to drink because what the fuck else are you going to do in the middle of like bismarck north dakota um (laughs) yeah so i then i drank uh for another year and then i my levels my blood levels went up and i had to go back on the prescription and so i was like can i wait till the end of june and doctor's like yeah that's fine we had a vacation coming up so we went out west and um we did a big vacation went to a couple breweries and uh, we were living at my mom's because our house sold a month before we could move into our new one. So we had to live wow. at my mom's for a month. Um, so I got back from vacation. We're staying at my mom's. I went to the brewery by my mom's and I was like, all right, tomorrow I'll be like done. And I, then it, that was June 24th, um, 2019. And I quit drinking. Wow. And then I got off the prescription and you know, there's that like little moment where you're like, Ooh, I could start mm-hmm. drinking again. But, uh, <laughs> It just so happened that that first six months, I started this podcast. 
and I took a class because I was like, first I was like, oh, OCC, Oakland Community College for you non-Michigan folks, um, (laughs) offered a, now offers a mental health program. Wow. And I was like, ooh, I already have three associate's degrees. Why not make it four? (laughs) So I enrolled in uh, the first class down that road, which was an alcohol and substance abuse class. Wow. And so while I'm not drinking, I'm like learning all this stuff. And then I have to do a report. And then I'm like really researching shit. And I begin to like just really vilify alcohol. Um, Interesting. And I don't push it on people because I know what that looks like. But it really, if anyone's willing to listen, I will fucking spew out knowledge. Um, Because it's it's fucking, it's fucked up. Like the societal brainwashing around alcohol like like i said earlier it is like it's a poison right it's the only poison that we voluntarily consume regularly for our entire lives right um the statistics out there for just like if you have one drink a week you're 50 percent more likely to get heart disease like um or cancer or like the don't quote me on that stat look it up i'm sure it's different but the, (laughs) the it's something astounding like that and um it was just I was like, fuck, like, I'm so glad I'm not drinking right now. Yeah. I don't think I can go back to it. And I, I didn't. <laughs> so far, so good. <laughs> and it, it, I really just, it changed my entire perspective on, on alcohol. And I realized how much, like, beer was part of my identity. Like, gifts people yeah. gave me. You know, they give you, like, all of a sudden you're getting little beer signs oh, yeah. or beer. Sh- like, and I had a bar in my basement that I'd built myself. So, like, everything... Like it was part of my identity and I had a problem, wow. I had a problem with that too. Right. So like there was a population of people that if they thought Justin Lamb, they thought beer. And I was like, no, oh, I don't like that. Um, and then it like, it's everybody that was part of the research and report. I do like, you think about all those stupid fucking Pinterest target things. they like wine time and like all the shit, <laughs> little fucking palette boards that someone spray oh painted. Like it's wine o'clock somewhere. It's like, you're an alcoholic. Um, <laughs> And, or the socks. I've been seeing those this Christmas. If you can see this, then please bring me a cup of wine. Have yeah. you seen those? It doesn't God me. damn. Um, it's awful. But so, yeah, it's it's everywhere. And it's yeah. it's the only thing that's like fully accepted by society, right? Like if right. it was like, crack relaxes me. Like people are right. like, oh my God. <laughs> right. And then furthermore, you think of uh, the, you know, we rely on the government and FDA and all of them. But uh, even though every prescription drug has... Like their entire television commercial, which the fact that we even have television commercials for prescription drugs, don't get me started, but uh, pharma company, this will go down a weird fucking road, but, uh, but every commercial, right. It's, they have to say all these different warnings and side effects Yeah, yeah. and all you get from alcohol is don't drink this. If you're pregnant, it may cause right. birth defects. That's it. It doesn't say the 900 billion other fucking things right. that could happen to you right. from drinking it. And it's, it is astounding how uh, just irresponsible society is with alcohol. And when you like are able to step back and like look at it through that lens yeah. um, with like a skeptical eye and not with like a, everyone's judging me sort of <laughs> like defensive right. way. Informed. <laughs> yeah. It's a, uh, it's really astounding. So that changed my entire perspective on alcohol while I wasn't drinking, which helped a lot. The thing I didn't tie until the very end though was June 24th. I, I quit drinking okay. that next week or well that within july 4th weekend was like the weekend um 
we moved into the house I'm in now. So I've never drank in this house. Uh, so there's no, yeah, there's no location memory. Like I can't imagine being in the same mindset in my old house where I built a bar, like where I'd like probably go hang out down there. You know, there's, and I talked to, I've talked to therapists about this too. Cause I, I, I was like, isn't that crazy? And they're like, no, that's like, that's science. Yeah. <laughs> and it, yeah. it goes with the same thing, right? You know, like if you're, if you're doing drugs and you want to stop doing drugs, you can't yeah. hang out with all the same people. It's going yeah. to be very difficult to do that. You can't go to the same places. Like you have no. to change that stuff. And, right. uh, I really got lucky there. Cause obviously like anybody that wants to quit drinking, can't just like buy a new fucking house. <laughs> it just, oh, seriously. It just worked I mean, out even... really well. They found that out with the Vietnam vets when they were over and they were doing a bunch of opium and I don't remember if that was the right drug or not, but there was a lot of like heroin was the heroin, the big right age train. Okay. So there was a lot of drug addiction and then they came up with this huge campaign for like, how do we get our soldiers healthy again? How do we get them off drugs? And then as soon as they got home, they were like, well, I, but I quit though. Cause like I didn't have it anymore, yeah. but apparently like when they were on base, it was just everywhere. Yeah. And like, you're seeing terrible traumatic fucked up stuff. So like, oh, yeah, that's a coping mechanism for you sure. Know what I mean? <laughs> right. Yeah. Right. So if I'm shooting people in the face, I'm getting fucking high. All right. right. That's just how yeah. that's going to work. <laughs> that's exactly right. Yeah. So, um, so that's really interesting that you mentioned the, the shift in, in landscape and how much that's. Do you, I mean, that's obviously helped. I credit I it. Yeah, I credit it a lot because I don't have, there's nothing. There's, yeah, there's nothing like about. It's not like triggers. No, I have a whole fucking liquor. It's not a cabinet. It's the top of my countertop, I guess. But it's sure. like, it doesn't, <laughs> there's never been a moment. I can honestly say in the last, I know I just looked in the last year, five months and 27 days that I, uh, that I'm like, oh, gotta gotta yeah. get a drink uh which yeah. i also feel fortunate about because i'm like i know people that have gotten sober after like you know the shakes and and shit like that shit. And, and it's what is it the withdrawal from alcohol is literally it's worse than anything else and can literally kill you withdrawal yeah. from heroin or anything else can't kill you alcohol wow. can literally kill you yeah i did not know that holy shit isn't that fucked up you can have it's withdrawals from up, anything since... and it won't kill you but alcohol will kill you and that's the one that doesn't have any warnings on it. Yeah. You know, like we've got <laughs> like the Canadian cigarettes that are like have actual pictures of a like necrotized lung tissue yeah. on the boxes. But yeah. like alcohol, they're like, you're fine. Just don't drive. Okay. Like that's, yeah. that's bananas. And even that's like the last fucking 20 years. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> that's right. Cause it's mainly like if you're pregnant. Our, yeah. Our parents were like, Hey, give me a roadie. <laughs> <laughs> give me a scotch for the road. <laughs> And cop will pull you over and be like, oh, what kind of scotch is that? (laughs) Yeah, well, it's my favorite kind. (laughs) Yeah. That's that's wild. So what does your wife think about, um, how has this impacted her? Does she have any feelings about Um, being sober or? She drinks a lot less now, just like by proxy. Um, Sure. You know, it's always more fun to drink when other people are drinking and yeah. <laughs> especially during the pandemic. I'm not, I'm not drinking. Yeah. She's not around anybody. Yeah. Um, it's kind of the worst to drink when you're by yourself, you yeah. know, like you're the only one in the room drinking. Yeah. Like I always feels like an extra level of. Yeah. As much good. as, as much as I like 
would love to throw fucking TED talks about the how terrible alcohol is. I also am the person that's like, I'm no, I don't drink, but you can. Please do. Yeah. I want to see yeah. you get fucking stupid. <laughs> but I will flip that switch the second you like try to start an argument with me when you're wasted. I'll be like, ah, oh, fuck. Yeah. Never mind. Never mind. <laughs> but, but yeah, I mean, it's she's super proud of me and, and loves that I, I don't drink and like, um, you know. That's awesome. Anybody in a relationship that has ever gotten in a fight drunk, like we were just like all of those people. Like I've started, yeah. I've started countless fights drunk. And I, I mean, and my drinking was always, I always want more. So we would get in fights while I was drunk about how drunk I was. And then I would like oh, man. sneak beers to the bathroom and, and pound them real quick. So <laughs> yeah. I mean, I it, yeah. I definitely had a billion different warning signs, and sure. a lot a lot of my friends, if I were to say the same things that were very obvious warning signs of alcohol abuse to them, they would brush it off and be like, "No, you just you were just drunk, oh bro." Oh my god! Um, yeah, and it's because that's what they're telling themselves. Exactly. Uh, yeah. So it's it's yeah, it's interesting. That is. Not everybody, too. I'm not, like, blanketing everybody. I mean, like, if you drink, you're stupid and irresponsible. Um, totally. It's not like the gluten but, craze where yeah. everyone says that gluten is bad for you. It's yeah. not bad for you. It's a protein, and some people have a hard time breaking it down. That's it. <laughs> Just chill out. It's true. Yeah. Um, so how did you meet your wife? Ooh. She's adorable, by the way. Thanks. Uh, you're welcome. I moved back from California in 2006 and mm-hmm. was technically living at my mom's in Livonia but I was staying at my buddy Aaron this is one of the times I lived with him uh, I was staying on his couch um, and people were there every single day playing euchre hanging out drinking cool. so uh, I met her there playing euchre Wow! and one drunken Halloween night turned into a, a long relationship <laughs> <laughs> so it's, yeah it's a uh, kind of met her and she like she talks a lot of shit so it's super entertaining (laughs) you know when you play cards with someone that's just like you guys go back and forth talking shit it's fun um that is fun it's a rare thing i feel like without it getting kind of uh, acrid you know like she's sassy and like super smart um so Uh, yeah cute i was like ooh, my dumb ass is gonna get you uh, <laughs> let's talk about erica for a minute so you guys have been together i'm going back in time again i yep. feel like i'm playing along with myself here pong um, around. let me see your pong so you've been living together you went to nashville she came and got you you came back uh when did you decide to get married what happened <laughs> what's going on how tell us we went back and forth on marriage for a long time she didn't want to and then i didn't want to and then she wanted to and then i didn't like it's just back and forth then I decided like, I'm going to ask her, like I was, I'm one of those people, or I was one of those people, um, that was like, when I get to a certain point, I'll do this. So it was like, when I'm making X amount of money, then I can get in, I can get married. Or, you know, if I have so much money in the bank, then I can go buy an engagement ring. And I was like, I didn't see, I, as much as I was not in like the destructive mode I was in earlier in my life, I didn't see a future of me having thousands of dollars in the bank that seemed unattainable. And I was like, so I'm not going to wait for that. We've been together for 
six years at this point, and I was like, I'm just going to ask her to marry me. <laughs> so I charged it. <laughs> I called the bank. I was like, how much credit can I get on my card? <laughs> and I, uh, her mom's like super crazy about jewelry. Uh, I knew the diamond had to be like really nice. And I mean, she's not a materialistic person where if I would have shown up with any ring, she would have been like, what the fuck's this? Um, but I like really wanted to have like a really nice diamond. And I like studied what the different clarities were and the letter grades, like everything about them. And then I like went to a guy cause like, I guess that was the thing that I was told. You gotta, find, you gotta get the diamond. Like don't just get a ring with the diamond in it, like get the diamond and then you can just get it set after the fact. So I like shopped for the diamond for a while found one I wanted and then had the guy like build the ring with the setting and everything. Um, and then I'm gonna tell her engagement story cause I think I did a great job. Um, <laughs> but so I got the ring and she, I mean, at this point she suspects nothing cause she knows as well as I do that like having the amount of money I spent on that is not realistic. It was our anniversary our six year anniversary and we were going to go down to the Whitney um, in Detroit. And so I made this scrapbook that had all the, like, you know, there's a picture of Halloween stuff and it was all like different years of us in different costumes and pictures of like us and our pets over the years. And like, just like book of us. And before we left for the Whitney, we took a picture of ourselves and I ran into a CVS on the way to the Whitney and printed that picture and put it on the last page. Cause the last page said the day we got engaged. So then we went to the Whitney, nothing worked at the Whitney. I had this fucking ring in my pocket the whole time. I was like, Ugh. and like, we went to this private area on a little tour, but then like these old people showed up out of nowhere that were just yapping. I was like, fuck. So nothing works. So we go back home and we're sitting on the couch and I was like, Hey, I want to give you your present. And I give her the scrapbook and she's going through it. And then the last page, like I said, it says the day we got engaged and it's a picture of us from like four hours earlier. And she's like, what the hell? And I like get down one knee and I bring the ring out and, um, and yeah, then we got engaged and then we got married on our eight year anniversary. Well, four days before our eight year anniversary. Um, yeah. And that was six years ago. <laughs> so you guys got married six years ago. Yeah. I can't believe it's been that long already. Yeah. Gosh, we're old. Right? 2014. That's really cool. Um, and also a good segue into another thing I wanted to ask you, um, which like we know you're, you're working on being a therapist. Um, know you're working on um, getting some of those topics that are important to you to be discussed, different forms of addiction and stuff. Um, so what, what, what do you, what's your long-term goal? Like what's, what are you working on as far as like, you know, what do you want to see change about you or the world or, or what your work, your projects about me? You know, I was thinking about this last night and I was going to write something down and I didn't. And now I'm, now I'm thinking about it again. And I'm like, Oh, I should write something down. I don't know if I ever will. But like, I was thinking about the question, like, what does your perfect life look like? Like if you're a down to earth person, or at least you can accept like down to earth terms. Cause we could all branch out and be like, Oh, I got a beach house in Malibu. And like, <laughs> but if you're like, you know, my life now 
in a parallel universe where A, B, C, and D are all checked off, what does that look like? And I was thinking about that uh, last night. And as far as myself, I mean, I'm in my head a lot. I ask myself a lot of questions. I get super curious. I've been, I've potentially been reading too many books on trauma lately, but because uh, I. I don't like this term because I don't think therapists in general like this term, but I, I really want to fix myself. I mean, the implication there is that I'm broken, which I don't think should be <laughs> the thing, but um, there's just like, I want to get to the part where I am healed, right? I want to get past the healing and get to the healed. Like, I want to have a good relationship with my mother that we have balanced terms on both sides. Uh I was about to say the same thing about my brother, but I don't know. <laughs> and uh, I'd like like certain things in my relationship to be better than they are. And um, I'd like to, I mean, I'd like to commit to some of the things that I do. Like I have, Dan, I have a billion projects at all times. <laughs> and I, I create my own like guilt and shame around not completing these projects. Um, sure. Which... Apparently I shouldn't, I've, I've discussed this many times in therapy over COVID because the longer I'm in my house, the more shit that I do. And, uh, she's like, that's, that's like your outlet. So like, that's healthy. That's okay. Like if you want to complete it and you want to complete it for you, that's fine. But you know, some shit I want to just complete to put out there and get a reaction from people. And like, that's the unhealthy part. So, right. uh, I, I mean, I guess my overall answer, because I branch off on nine things every time you ask me a question, is is uh, I just, I want to be, I want to be a more present person. I like that. Yeah. Why being a therapist? Like, why specifically that type of helping role? Yeah. And why now in your life? Well, a therapy, I just, I, I such a an advocate for people going to therapy. I mean, I've gotten so much help out of it. I, I don't, I don't know of any other thing. I think that I have a passion around that I'd be able to pursue, like realistically pursue. Um, you know, I put it on par with like being a rock star, you know, like I'm, I, I'm not gonna, that's not going to happen. Um, <laughs> and that's fine. Uh, but like, this is something I have that same passionate about that I can pursue and turn into a career and that passion unlike other interests of mine has not dwindled over the last um however long year or two that i've made that decision but the actual decision was made because of uh, a combination of a few things me not drinking for the first time in a psych class at school dealing with actually substance abuse and alcohol abuse and then uh this podcast so I was connecting with people doing the interviews and, and really like getting those light bulb moments that are so gratifying as the person like doing the interview where you're tying things together for people and they're like, Oh my God, I didn't even think about it like that. And then you're like, Oh yeah. Like, like, yeah, you act this way because you just told me 20 minutes about how your dad treated you when you were a kid. Like, um, tying those things together and having people like have those realization moments in front of me is like the best feeling. And then I was learning about myself for what felt like, the first time as an adult, cause I was sober for months at this point. Um, and like really connecting to myself emotionally in a way that I hadn't since I was, you know, 17, 18 when I started drinking and 
that's not to say like I was drinking heavily for almost 20 years, but it was, you know, alcohol will numb you emotionally, whether it's a weekend thing or it can, it can take severe effects. And I was in a class where I was learning about this stuff. So I was in a class with a bunch of people who were very vulnerable and open about all the shit that's going on in their lives. Um, I was interviewing people and finding out about a bunch of shit in their lives and they were being vulnerable with me. And I was finally allowing myself to be vulnerable. And that combination of things really like hooked into me. And I realized that feeling I had when I was talking to people and, and tying things together with them was something that I could make into a career because that's like, what that's what I get out of therapy. So like if I can sit on the other side of that, that, that holy shit, that's great. <laughs> um, and school-wise, it's really the only thing that holds me back is uh, school, which is funny because I don't feel like I have like a fear of failure. As much as I, my friend, my sister-in-law, I don't know, somebody told me that like time's going to pass regardless of what, like if you're like, oh, I don't want to do that thing. It's two years long. That two years is going to go by regardless. So like, why not do that thing? Like I wholeheartedly agree with that, but still thinking about the, that time, that length of time, like the next five years, like doing the whole counseling program, the thousand hours, uh, supervised counts, like the clinical hours, like everything, it feels overwhelming when I think about it to the point where like, sometimes I struggle to sign up for next semester's classes. Cause I'm just like, Oh, that's a lot. Um, but it's, it's something like the end goal is something I really, really want. And usually with these things, uh, like playing guitar or like writing or any number of creative outlets that I, take far too much advantage of I uh <laughs> I get lost in it and then I'll also go months where I just don't really care like I, I won't pick up my guitar for months at a time sometimes and for a long time I felt like guilt about that and because people just know me as the music guy and I was like oh I need to like I don't know maintain this persona <laughs> to, for other people uh which <laughs> segue that into external validation um but <laughs> I don't know. I feel like I've been talking for 20 minutes. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> no, you're totally fine. It kind of helps me understand a little bit more of your story and like the real hesitations people have and like the real fears around grad school and how long that's going to take. And yeah. um, I would encourage you that if you find the right program, like to just soak it in and like enjoy the fact that it takes two years versus because yeah. like I had a really not great attitude about it. And like, I had a really wise professor say like, slow this down, take it in because you're going to miss it. And he was right. Like I was able to actually do that my last year and I felt like I was able to slow it down and absorb more. Yeah. Um, but it was so funny how my brain was just thinking of it as like a checkbox when really like as a therapist, that is your like time to like take it in, grow, absorb, make mistakes, yeah. uh, learn. I don't know. So I'm, I'm excited for you. And like, it's two years, but like, or some programs are even three years, but like, yeah. Well, so that's my issue too, that. is I don't even get to start the program for another year. Cause I need to, so I need to, I take one more math class just to transfer the 88 credits to the university and then spend another two semesters finishing my bachelor's and then start the master's. So like, I'm excited for the master's program because it's the subject matter is like what I, what I'm interested in, right? Like 
all these books I'm reading and everything. Um, but the before that, all the bullshit I have to take before that, all the the stupid rhetoric, English, math, like all the bullshit classes that I really don't care about that I still have to take and that are gonna consume my time. And I really shouldn't complain because right now, like. COVID makes this shit so easy. <laughs> like it's all, it's all online. Most of the professors don't know what they're doing. So like you have to try if you're going to fail at anything. And I say, I've gotten like a three, nine on everything in all of college. Like I'm not, I don't know. I create things that aren't really worries of mine. <laughs> it's, it, it doesn't make any sense. Anyway. <laughs> tell me, tell me more about that. Cause I feel like, I feel like you don't, you're not giving yourself credit for like the fact that like, it sounds like you are a decent student. Yeah, no, I mean, I, it's, it's one of those things that I always have to tag on to the end of like, when I'm relating to someone and explaining that I graduated high school with a 1.9 GPA, I always have to tag on and be like, but I've been like Dean's List student all of college. Um, cause high school was purely social for me. Um, the learning never like was a struggle. I just didn't care about it at the time. I don't know if it's a, a fear of failure. That might've been the wrong words, but there's definitely, you know, I, I struggle with my own self-worth. So telling myself I can do something to like pump myself up is not like in my repertoire. <laughs> it's, it's more like when you're feeling, you know, it's my fucking Enneagram four. When I'm like in the mood to get it done, like I will get it done. If I'm not, don't fucking bother me with it, uh, which is super unproductive, but very relatable. Um, damn you, Enneagram, you know me so well. Is it, if you're going to do something, you want to know that like you'll be good at it or that you're going to be interested in it? Um, and then if you're not sure if you'll be good or if it will be interesting, then it loses its appeal? I think what... I lose interest in is the steps to the goal. I'm always interested in the goal, but the work you have to put in to get there is where I will kind of mentally cut myself down and sometimes just avoid it altogether. Because? I don't know because. because. (laughs) I mean, honestly, like at this point, I think it, it ties into my like how I view myself like what I think I'm worth and uh, or lack thereof I I don't know and it's funny like I there's so many sayings and phrasing and there's so many things that I agree with and would like to live my life by but then don't like I'm a do as I say not as I do type of person in a lot of those ways like I believe putting a lot of hard work into something like you'll get a good result out of it but like I also don't ever really want to put a lot of hard work into it, even though when I do, it's super rewarding. Um, but like music is, a, is another example where I was super passionate about. It. I lived out in LA for two years. I was playing like original sets three, four times a month, which is like awesome, um, especially compared to anywhere else in the country. You know, like uh, when I moved back to Michigan, it was cover sets only for the most part, but. And I mean, you were, you were in that realm for a little while, right? So it's, uh, I knew like looking back, I'm not saying I was going to be like some millionaire rock star or anything, but I know I could have done more with it if I would have put in more work, if I would have like made more sacrifices and not stupid artistic sacrifices. Like 
I mean, I was poor as shit, <laughs> like living off two for one corn dogs at fucking Seven Eleven. Like, that's not that's that was my own struggle though. I made that decision. I moved out there with like nothing and didn't secure a job, and that was my shit. But I didn't put in like the work in that like realm of. Uh, like the music business, so to speak. There's a lot of terms relating to that that's just cheesy as fuck, but that's real. Um, so like being older and having more perspective, I can look back at things like that and be like, you just didn't put in the work. And the end goal might not have been like sold out stadiums of shit. Um, it might have been nothing more than like you got to tour one summer, but I didn't put in the work to accomplish that goal. I just like, had this fucking childhood dream that was, I imagine would just th fall into my lap, which like that doesn't happen. <laughs> and it's hard to tell yourself that that doesn't happen and that you have to put in that work. Cause I mean, a lot of us were raised on that. Like, Oh, if you just believe in yourself, like, no, that doesn't, that's, <laughs> I mean, that's good to believe in yourself, but you still have to put in the work to get for, to like, to get what you want, you know? And sometimes I don't do it until it gets like, into a bad place and I have to put in the work that I should have put in before. There's so many different questions that popped up for me, like wherever you want to go with this. But I think a couple of things like a, how do you define your self-worth or other people's self-worth in general? B, what would it take for you to like yourself? <laughs> and I know that sounds like silly or point blank, but it's, it's real. Like yeah. it's, these are real questions that, I mean, have you figured out like what you like about other people or what you like about the world or, um, or how you define self-worth in general? Like how, do, how is that defined? Because right now it seems a little bit performance-based. Uh, that's how I think I've previously defined it. <laughs> okay. And so that's how do you define the, it now? I don't know. <laughs> For myself, I mean... I, I, it's funny. I walk, if I think about feeling good about myself in that way, I automatically <laughs> immediately think like, oh no, then you're cocky. It just, it seems I automatically attach negative connotations to it. And I don't think that in other people, I mean, some people, but <laughs> I, if I think about me walking around, like feeling great about myself, I just imagine it with like my chest puffed out and like, for some reason, I, I'm all of a sudden a pompous asshole, and I don't want to be that person. And I don't Can think I, I would. You? Yeah. Pa Where did you learn that idea that like feeling good about yourself <laughs> equals arrogance? Um, I mean, if I had to pick something immediately, I would probably say my brother. <laughs> oh, ooh, ooh. Okay. So he wrote this story for you. Yeah, I mean, he's always been in my eyes, he has always been like super confident and accomplishes a lot and thinks he's fucking awesome. And everyone looks at him like he's a, including myself, like he's an arrogant piece of shit for, for like being so cocky about himself. Um, Does your brother also, cause I, I think you've said too that like, at least in the past, he's kind of been, he's created a lot of hurt. Oh yeah, right. he's like uh, responsible for aces like one through three. <laughs> so it th so that is already really interesting to me, and then also that 
Um, is he good at admitting his faults and being vulnerable? Okay. No. So that should be, so I think <laughs> it's important that we do have that distinguishment of confidence because to me, happy, healthy people do not hurt people. Yeah. They really don't like, because it's like, they, they don't have, at least not intentionally. Of course there's yeah. different subtle ways they might accidentally hit on somebody's trauma, but like in general, they don't typically hurt people or do things that are super hurtful because that doesn't do anything for them. Yeah. Um, and then also they're vulnerable. They're able to sit in the soup of what they're not good at because they're confident and they feel good about themselves. So admitting what they suck at doesn't tear them down. Yeah. They're like, Oh yeah. And I suck at this. Like, and I'm okay with that. Like this is something I've chosen not to work on or it's just a quirk or whatever. Like, they can be in the soup of that because they have their uh, security is intact. Yeah. Which is funny because the, the exact opposite, um, like I'm most attracted to vulnerability. Like if you're able to be vulnerable, that's probably like the most attractive thing you can be. But then I don't view that as part of being confident. Isn't that funny? <laughs> I don't. It is interesting because I see vulnerability when done well because i i think vulnerability can also just be like a a weird thing too like again yeah. it it matters the context of it but when done with integrity because the, the other thing too is i personally now at this point in my life like when people humble brag or when they never say anything nice about themselves i don't trust them <laughs> i really don't like i'm like if you can't like just actually be like yeah and i fucking killed it like I want you to actually be able to tell me when you're excited and proud of yourself too. And like, yeah. let me see those sides of people too. Like I see the balance of both where it's like they can admit where they struggle, but they can also own and receive praise for what they're good at. Yeah. I, I'm good at that in the moment. And then if I don't get the validation from other people, I lose it immediately. Like the other night I wrote a, I wrote a song in like literally 60 seconds and I, I, it was on piano and I had a drum track and I was like, Oh my God, it just like spewed out of me. And I was like, this is great. And I sent it to my buddy and like, it sounds exactly like Ben Folds probably cause I was listening to Ben Folds earlier, but, um, I, it ben was, Folds is good. Yeah, I love ben Folds. um, but I was so excited about it and it sounded so good. And I went and I played it for my wife and I was like, like, yeah, I was like, awesome. I sound great. Great job. Uh, and then I made the fucking mistake of putting it on TikTok. <laughs> um, and like, I didn't need to do that. That was a stupid, stupid thing that I did. Cause the second I put it out there for other people, then that gauge switches from how do I feel about it to how do they feel about it? Mm. And all the joy I had for it goes away and I'm just waiting to see like clicks and, and likes and, uh, and I, again, I think two months ago, I wouldn't recognize that. Uh, but I, it feels good to at least recognize it. I would like to now shift to not doing it, but, um, I think that's a longer journey. Uh, can, can we, at this stage in the game, can we have, social media without <laughs> seeking validation it's funny like instagram got rid of the amount of likes for a little while right like they were like dan and justin like this or dan and justin and others like this it didn't say like 946 likes or something like that and that i think the idea 
for what you're talking about was there with something like that where they're like people are obsessing over this let's take it out but they didn't take it out they just said blah 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 and blah 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 and others like this and the thing where that doesn't affect is like people like you and me like we're not getting 10,000 to 100,000 likes so we're not looking at it and being like oh my am I influencing people like I'm looking at it and being like did I get 20 or 25? <laughs> like, right. I'm not, I'm not running the fucking internet. So that didn't really change anything to me. And then my immediate reaction to that was, I was thinking to your question is maybe we, if we get rid of all that shit, like the likes and the comments, and maybe you're just sharing stuff. Like if you're just, if it's just videos, pictures, statuses, all the stuff that we're sharing right now, but no feedback from them. Interesting. I think that might work, right? Like, cause, cause you're just putting it out there. You don't know if a million people saw that. I mean, I guess you would, cause you'd see it on like fucking Today Show or some shit. But like, right. you know, if it's under a million people or under a hundred thousand people, you don't know. Uh, and then you have nothing to base it off of, unless people are like going out of their way to reach out to you and be like, "Saw that video. That was hilarious." Which that doesn't happen. <laughs> and maybe it was if you cut it all out. But yeah. I think there's there's my grand idea. If you got rid of all the likes and the comments and the views, and people can still put out as much crap as they want, but they don't know how many people like it, hate it, comment, and nothing. Can't can't do any of that. Maybe maybe you start that. Maybe you start <laughs> a social media platform that delves into serious things and doesn't lets you know how people are reacting to your content that'd be that's i you know that would never work for marketing reasons <laughs> that's which which is where all the money comes from uh, yeah but i i think that would be the only way because if you think about the most toxic shit on social media it's in the fucking comment section 100 percent. like no one's posting video well some people are posting videos but like of some terrible shit but you know, it, it's in the comment section. It's mm -hmm. you go to any local news story where it's like, you know, Easter brunch brings Easter bunny to local cafe. And someone in the comments is going to say some shit that's like, right. why is it always got to be about Jesus fuckers? And, like, right. it's just gonna, and you're like, oh, my God, like, it's a fucking Easter bunny. Leave it alone. And right. if you, yeah, you take that out done you take out the the likes then you're not counting those in your head and getting that dopamine and serotonin going uh it mm -hmm. takes away the reward system i mean yeah that's but again that's where all the money is and that'll never happen so right i mean short answer can we have social media no <laughs> unless some billionaire wants to just fund it for fun i don't i don't think that's gonna happen like i was religiously posting on everything all the time because that's like that's what i was using for my coping mechanism super sure. healthy social media um <laughs> making really good. stupid fucking tiktok videos and everything and then <laughs> i deleted all the apps off my phone for a week uh and that was great and then i put them on my phone but i put them on like the third page i never go to on my screen and that was yeah. okay and now it's like they're on my main page and i'm going on yeah. like today was a bad day but um, for the most part, up until this last like five days, I haven't posted much of anything in December. And then I, I was reading, cause I follow all these, uh, psychology accounts and therapy accounts on, on my friend request page. And they're like signs that like 
you should check in on your friend. And I was like, oh, shit. checking boxes. I was like, no one checked in on me. I mean, I have a, a fucking loving wife that was like, hey, what's going Shit. on? Well, and like, but, yeah. uh, but you know, when you get that from someone, you're like easy to take for granted. And you're like, but what about all these other people? <laughs> yeah, um, maybe that should be the post because yeah. you know. So I, I was just like throwing my own pity party because I was like, oh, I haven't. I went from <laughs> posting four times a day to nothing for two weeks, and no one said a fucking thing to me. <laughs> and I was like, oh, fine. Um, just uh, it's that it's that unhealthy validation yeah but also like the opposite is isolation so it's it's a hard balance i think i was gonna ask you i definitely want to make sure i ask this question so what's a question or what are what's a topic even that you want an interviewer to ask you about so the thing that i'd like to get more okay with talking about is the just the behavioral addiction part of my life i I don't know i don't know there's that's so weird like there's a very toxic part of me that like almost feels braggy about like some of the shit that i've done that i'm like i want to talk about that but like then i'm like save it for the book justin um and then but like there's a real honest part of me that like wants to bring more um notice to behavioral addictions because i i I just i see it so much after going through it like i see it so much in other people and at first i think for sure there was some projecting onto other people but like now as an outside observer like years into recovery i can recognize behaviors that I don't think other people like, I don't think people realize themselves. And also it's not talked about like whether it's not just like, I'm not saying it was sex and porn, but like video games and um, social media and just like the stuff that people are like literally addicted to, uh, you know, checking all the boxes off. Like it's affecting their, their relationship. It's affecting their financial life. It's affecting their work life. Like, I don't know my, my struggle with that, took up such a chunk of my life and it's something I don't talk about because there's so much shame around it and like some of it you know when you it's part of this when you said you'd interview me like I you don't know me super well right like our our time together is measured (laughs) in the minutes I have on my computer I don't know I, I get really worried that people are going to like be like oh this guy's fucking crazy or he's he's fucked up or uh and just like it i don't know uh, this is all ties into me realizing how many how much abandonment issues i have uh, i just i think people are going to find out about the shit that i've done and just not i don't know like me does that sound too stupid <laughs> no it sounds real sounds um, honest sounds like something that other people have definitely and myself at different points in my life have felt about certain things yeah but it's also like it's also something i think if i shared more about that people that i could help people (laughs) so um you you didn't lose your mom right you still have yeah and you have a great relationship with your mom i assume or not really the longer I've been in therapy, the worse our relationship has been. <laughs> um, I mean, not 
really. I just like, I've learned to set boundaries. Yeah. I'm getting to the point where I'm trying to accept that like my mom is not going to change who she is. She is, you know, 67 years old. Um, and so, yeah, we have a relationship like on my terms right now, but I don't know what that looks like in the future. <laughs> and that that's hard because you want her to be so much more than she is. It's difficult. I struggle with forgiving people that, can't take any accountability yeah yeah it's same thing with my brother you know like we've had surprisingly deep conversations about our childhood together Mm -hmm. um but at the end of the day he's like i can't control how you feel it's like yeah but Mm -hmm. can you like just be like oh yeah i guess i was a fucking asshole sorry about that (laughs) like um sorry about that bro and yeah so that's why like with him i don't think there's any hope and him living in Texas means it's something I don't really ever have to confront on any regular basis. So it's just, nothing's going to happen there. Um, and then with my mom, it's just, you know, uh, time will tell, you know, she, I've recommended she go to therapy. There's a full circle back to the beginning, but like I recommended she go to therapy her. She's like, I went to therapy for years. I was like, yeah, but that was like, in the 90s do you know what kind of progress they've made in mental health in the last 30 years like it's fucking insane Uh (laughs) the trauma work they've done uh oh god like everything i read about and study and everything that inspires me to be a therapist is based on the work that's been done in the last 30 years uh i like don't get me wrong i know like freud and skinner and everybody like has their fucking origins of where psychology began but like we've made some fucking strides and so i don't know yeah what makes you happy other than food um other than pizza and cheese i got a block of cheddar upstairs i'm just thinking about now um (laughs) what makes me happy my my wife my cat building stuff writing a song solitude in nature <laughs> i like uh my friends got a cabin they let me stay at by myself i like spent my work week up there so i work from home so i just took my computer up there and just like you just stand out in the woods completely silent it's just kind of it's kind of nice <laughs> that's so interesting because i see you so much as an extrovert yeah yeah and then behind the scenes you're like super introvert yeah i uh I, and you know i think i'm gonna if i had to guess i'm gonna grow to be more introverted <laughs> the way the world is going ah me too <laughs> <laughs> well i just the more work i do on myself the more i realize that like a lot of the like extroverted stuff is just seeking out validation that it's really not healthy <laughs> um and i'd rather cultivate smaller friend circles with deeper meaning than try to get more likes and yeah shares so i'm that's perfect yeah <laughs> that's super awesome did you learn anything about me <laughs> yeah actually quite a bit there's uh you know from the times that we weren't really hanging out there's you don't really talk about yourself very much so there's a lot of stuff that i didn't know 
We're good. Yeah. Yeah, I don't. Uh, you know what's funny? I, and I, I don't know if this is true, and I'm trying to find this out with my mom right now. I'm trying to find out if I don't talk about myself with her because I just don't want to give her that information. Or if I, I have a theory that people just don't ask about me. <laughs> um, and I think that I don't know if that's true or not. And so I'm trying to like pay attention to that to some degree. Cause I like me and had a big falling out cause he would call me on his way to work and tell me everything that's going on in his life. And then he'd be like, all right, I'm here. I gotta go. And like, finally, after months and months, I was like, Hey dude, if you're going to call me again, ask about me. You're being selfish as fuck. <laughs> uh, like I am not having this relationship where I'm your fucking car ride to work and you tell me all this shit and you don't ever give a fuck about what's going on with me. Yeah. So I, I, uh, I get curious and as to whether or not people ask other than like, how's it going? Cause what the fuck question is that anyway? But, <laughs> um, so I don't know. Uh, that's then that's probably not true, but it's something I'm looking into. <laughs> if that makes any sense as a weird answer. It no, it makes total sense. I'm the same way with my mom. Like I feel, and sometimes Adam too. I feel like I like purposely withhold information to see if they're going to actually ever ask me. Yeah. Well, I'm so just, I totally get it. You know, sometimes when people, when you tell people something, you just want them to just be like, okay, like I heard you say that. Like you don't, Yeah. you know, it's funny. Anytime Erica has anxiety and I'm always doing the exact opposite thing that you should do which is like try to fix it right like because she says like i feel this way this way this way and i immediately am the kind of person that's like oh let me tell you how to fix that let me like oh you you shouldn't feel anxiety about this because this and that like which is exactly what you shouldn't do with anybody that has anxiety you should just like listen to them and be present with them um so i have to like actively resist that part of my brain but at the same time like that's what i want from other people too sometimes is like I don't want you to tell me what you think is a remedy for what I just told you. I just want to have this conversation. Um, yeah. So I'm guilty of what I'm accusing people of. Go figure. Such is life. <laughs> yep. Yeah. It's the way it works. Yeah. All right. Hopefully that answered some of the listeners questions and the guests questions. And maybe some questions I had myself. It's really crazy to listen to these, um, putting them together because they span from October to December. And I was doing some like intense work. I don't know if you guys know what EMDR is, but look it up. It's amazing. And how my views and opinions have shifted in that short amount of time is just insane. So I hope you guys enjoyed that. Uh, and Next week, we will be talking specifically about the podcast itself. A lot of people had questions about the podcast. So we're going to do some of that and how the podcast was formed and where it's going and what it's like to interview people. So I hope you guys enjoy that. And I hope you enjoyed this. And I will talk to you next week. Thank you so much. Happy New Year 2021. I love you. Bye-bye.